Happy Pentecost, everyone. Pentecost is the Jewish harvest festival that took place 50 days after the Passover. We celebrate it because 50 days after the resurrection, our new Passover, the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles in the upper room, giving life to the newborn church. So today is the church's birthday. We celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit 10 days after we celebrate the ascent, the ascension of Jesus. But we never celebrate the ascension of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is still here, still here animating, giving life to the church. And so in many ways, it's true that our most intimate relationship with God is through the person of the Holy Spirit. And yet... And yet, I think it's safe to say that for many of us, the Holy Spirit is something of an enigma. We struggle in our prayer life to relate to the Holy Spirit, even though, as St. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. It's like the air. It's around us all the time. And, and the Holy Spirit is just as easy to take for granted. Right? The air is around us all the time, and we need it to survive. And, but even as we're breathing it in, breathing it out, we don't give it a second thought unless we make a conscious effort to do so. And I think the Holy Spirit can be like that. In fact, one of the images that the Scripture uses to describe the Holy Spirit to us is breath or wind. One of the, the Hebrew words that gets translated as spirit is ruach, which means breath or life. And we see this correlation between breath and the spirit when Jesus in the gospel that, that I just proclaimed breathes on the apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I think another reason why it's difficult for us to really relate to the Holy Spirit is just because of the limits of our imagination. God is very different from us. God is infinite and we are finite. God is very different from us, but he wants us to know him and to relate to him, and so he reveals himself to us using images that we're familiar with, that we can understand, images like Father. We can understand God the Father because we have fathers. We know what fatherhood is, and so when we think of God the Father, there's an image we can fix in our minds and say, okay, I can relate to God the Father. It's even easier with the Son because the second person of the Trinity actually became incarnate became one of us, and so we can image in our minds Jesus the man, and we can relate to him as our brother. And So the Father and the Son are relatively easy for us to form a relationship with, but what about the Spirit? The images that the Scripture uses to describe the Spirit to us are not things that we normally think of as things we can have a personal relationship with. I mean, a dove, a flame, a wind. How can you have a relationship with a gust of wind? It's difficult for us to imagine. So we can be forgiven if we don't really know what to make of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is vitally important to our lives as, as Christians. The Spirit is what connects us with the Father and the Son. The Spirit inspires our prayer and it empowers the witness that we give to the world, just like the Spirit inspired and animated the apostles at Pentecost. The Spirit gives power to the sacraments that we celebrate 
in the church. It's what makes the church the church. In the gospel, we read that when when Christ gives the apostles the authority to forgive sins, this is the institution of the sacrament of penance or confession, he breathes the Holy Spirit into them, giving them that authority. In baptism, the Spirit is there. We see the Spirit descending like a dove upon Christ at his baptism. In the Eucharist, before Father says the words of consecration over the Eucharist, he calls down the Holy Spirit upon the gifts. It's called the epiclesis, when you see Father lower his hands like this over the chalice and the bread, and you hear the bell ring. That's the calling down of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers the sacrament and makes the church the church. The Holy Spirit is what makes the church the body of Christ and not just a club for people who like Jesus. Right? We need the Spirit. If you read in the books of, book of Acts, you know the apostles sometimes when they're out there evangelizing, they'll encounter people who've heard about Jesus and have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but they don't yet know the Holy Spirit. So the Jews knew God the Father, but they didn't know God the Son. These people know God the Son, but they don't yet know the Holy Spirit. So you can think of them as incomplete Christians. And so what do the apostles do when they meet these people? They teach them, they instruct them, and then they lay hands upon them so that they can receive the Holy Spirit. It's a sacrament of confirmation, sealing them in the Spirit. That tells us that this is important to our identity as Christians, that we know the Holy Spirit. And so to help us to do that, I want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity and the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. In other words, to help us relate to the Holy Spirit, we need to know how does the Holy Spirit relate to the Father and the Son, and how does the Holy Spirit relate to you and me. So, to help us understand how the Holy Spirit relates to the Father and the Son, I want to begin with something familiar, and that's us, you and I. We, human beings, are creatures made in the image of God, and so if we want to understand God, it makes sense to begin with something made in the image of God, and that's us. So when we say that we're made in the image of God, what we mean by that is we have certain attributes that are like God. And those God-like attributes uh, that we possess are traditionally identified with our capacity for reason and our capacity for free will. And I say capacity, right? Because sometimes things get in the way and we can't always use our reason and we can't always use our free will, but we all have that capacity for that. And that makes us like God. And traditionally, philosophers have associated those those abilities with our mind and with our heart. So if these are God-like attributes, it follows that God possesses them perfectly. God has perfect reason and, and a perfectly free will. This is the mind and the heart of God. And the function of the reason is to know, right? It's what we use our reason for, to know things. And to know something, in a sense, is to name it, to give it a name. And this is why human beings have language. Other creatures don't have language. Language allows us to, to, to form these abstract ideas. And so, for example, what I mean, I can look at all the plants out there outside, and I can recognize that some plants have certain things in common, and I can give them a name, tree. So I have that word in my mind. I've named tree. I, now, I know tree But 
when we conceive of a word in our rational mind, it's descriptive because it corresponds to something outside of us, an, an external reality. But it's not like that with God. It's not like that with God because God is the omnipotent, the all-powerful source of all being. He is the cause of reality. And so God's word is not descriptive. God's word is creative. For God to know something makes it real. And this is why in Genesis we read about God speaking creation into existence. You know, God says, let there be light, and there is light. So God's word is creative. It's generative. So what happens when God knows himself? God knows all things, right? So God knows himself. So God's image of himself or his word for himself is perfect because God knows himself perfectly. And because God's word is generative, God's word is not a reflection of God, but it's a reality. God's, God is a person, and so the word of God is also a person. And so now we have two divine persons. We have the Father and we have the Son. And then what happens when the Father and the Son behold one another and comprehend one another? Well, the only response that they can have is love. They love one another. And they love one another perfectly because there is nothing unlovable in God. And that love that unites the Father and the Son, that's an act of the will that comes mutually from both the heart of the Father and the heart of the Son. And in fact, that's what the heart of the Trinity is, is that love that comes from the heart of the Father and the heart of the Son. And that's the Holy Spirit. And it's a love that's so perfect and so full that it's a divine person. That's what St. John means when he says God is love. He's talking about the heart of the Holy Trinity. And that spirit of love, that Holy Spirit of love, it's so abundant that it overflows from the Holy Trinity because that's what love does. Love is not self-contained. Love wants to give itself. And so this spirit of God flows out from the Holy Trinity and we read about the Spirit of God flowing over the waters of creation in Genesis. And when God formed man, he breathed his own life into him. He breathed his spirit into him. And that gives us life. It's the Holy Spirit of God that gives us life. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that we rebel against, that we struggle against, that we fight against when we sin. And that's what makes sin deadly. God withdraws his spirit and we return to dust, like the psalm that we just sang says. But God sends forth his spirit and we are created. We are nothing without God's spirit. And so now we come to the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. Because when God restored all things in Christ, he sealed the deal by breathing his spirit once more into that newborn church at Pentecost. The church is the body of Christ, right? The church is the body of Christ. What's a body without a spirit? It's a corpse. The church is not a corpse. Sometimes I know we can act like it. Parts of the church get atrophied because we're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit. But the body of Christ is not a corpse. The body of Christ is alive. 
We are a resurrection people, and Alleluia is our song. The church is a living, living creation. So what's the Holy Spirit calling us to do in the church today? Well, it's the same Spirit here today as came down upon the apostles at Pentecost. So what was the Holy Spirit inspiring the church to do at Pentecost? The Spirit filled the apostles with courage and zeal and gave them gifts, allowing them to speak in tongues and perform miracles of healing, all at the service of the gospel. That's why they possessed those gifts. It wasn't to show off. It was at the service of the gospel, enabling them to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the same spirit that fills our church today. That's the same spirit that each one of you who are confirmed received at your Pentecost, at confirmation. And that same spirit has given you gifts at the service of the gospel. I can't tell you what your gifts are. You have different gifts because you all live in different circumstances. Your gifts are not my gifts, but I can tell you what your gifts are for, and your gifts are to help you go out there and proclaim the good news in whatever circumstances you're in, in your life. And the world today needs that. The world today needs good news. The world needs you to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you. You possess a spirit of truth and a spirit of wisdom in a spirit of consolation. Doesn't the world need truth and wisdom and consolation? Doesn't the world need to hear good news? We get plenty of bad news. We get bad news all day long. Turn on the news. That's all it is, is bad news. It's always been that way. Sometimes it feels like our age is worse than every other age. We just... We feel like our problems are worse than everybody else's problems because we're in them and there are problems. But it's always been that way in the world. You, know? you hear about shootings in schools and churches and even grocery stores, hate crimes and violence. And it's easy for us to get afraid and feel hopeless or discouraged. The scripture says, you know, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. It can be tempting for us to, to hate the people that do these evil things that we hear about. But I want to tell you something. The people that do those things, they're not our enemies. They're not. Because our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the spiritual powers of darkness. Every time you watch the news, you're confronted with the fact that there are spiritual powers of darkness in the world. There are evil spirits in the world. But Christ says, I've conquered the world. So we don't need to be afraid. Those evil spirits that are prowling around the world seeking the destruction of souls, we pray in the St. Michael prayer, they've lost already. They've been defeated Christ has cast them into hell. They're on their way down. The only thing that they can hope to do is drag us down there with them. Why? Because they hate Christ and Christ loves us. They can't get at Christ except through who Christ loves. He loves us. They want to drag us down there with them. But we don't need to be afraid. 
We don't need to fear these evil spirits because we have the Holy Spirit. Christ has given us his spirit. The apostles that were hiding in the upper room, they were afraid. For 10 days between the ascension and Pentecost, they were hiding there behind locked doors. They were afraid, but they prayed. They prayed and they received the Holy Spirit and they went out and they won the world for Christ. Maybe that's how we feel right now. And maybe we feel like we can't even pray. You know, we don't even have what it takes. We don't know how to pray. You know what? That's fine. Because the Holy Spirit's got us covered there too. St. Paul admits, he says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit prays for us in sighs and groans that are too deep for words. Sometimes I feel like that. You know, one of the, the reasons I'm very grateful that I'm a deacon is because being in holy orders gives me the obligation to pray. Right? I took an oath. I have to pray every day. And I know if I didn't have that obligation, I wouldn't. <laughs> it would be really easy for me not to, right? There are some days I just don't feel like I have it in me. So I sit down and I say, God, I can't pray right now, so you're going to have to do it for me. <laughs> you know? And I tell you what, when I really let that happen, that's some of my best prayer right there because that's when God can really get to work in my heart. So I can sum up our relationship with the Holy Spirit in just one word. Docility. Docility. If you want to know how to relate to the Holy Spirit, be docile. Be receptive. God gives us his spirit. We receive. He breathes his spirit into us. We inhale. The spirit teaches. We are taught. The spirit moves us. We are moved. The spirit leads and we follow. That's what I mean. Be docile to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our lifeline to God. If you are docile to the Holy Spirit, if you follow where the Holy Spirit leads, you can trust that it's going to lead you through whatever circumstances of life you're in, straight to the heart of God, straight to that heart of the Trinity where the Father is calling you to reign forever in His kingdom with His Son in the unity of their Holy Spirit, the heart of the most blessed trinity.